Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for joining the Amazing Mets podcast. Tonight we will be having some amazing guests, including Kyle Dowdy at 7.05 p.m. and Ty Kelly at 7.30 p.m. We will also break down the latest Mets news and rumors. to the Amazing Mets podcast. Welcome to the Amazing Mets podcast tonight, guys. Um, I'm John along with Jake. This is our third episode of the um, podcast. Um, so tonight, um, first off, we'll be having Kyle Dowdy at uh, 7.05 and then Ty Cal- Kelly at um, 7.30 p.m. Um, so, but first we'll do a quick uh, commercial. We've got, uh, so um, if you are interested in buying tickets, for the upcoming season, best place to go is stubyard.com. Stubyard.com, promo code BPN10. You'll save 10% on tickets using that promo code BPN10. All right, Jake. So um, what do you think about the guys we have on tonight for the interviews and everything else going on with the Mets recently? Yeah, um, I'm really excited about Kyle Dowdy. Um, he's one of those wild card guys, but I think there's a lot of upside to him, um, like Brody's been highlighting. Um, just from videos that I've watched, it just seems like he's pretty dominant with most of his pitches, and I'm excited that we sort of got him for a steal out of the Rule 5 draft from uh, the Indians. So I'm really excited to talk to him and find out more about him. And, of course, Ty Kelly sort of a name that has popped up for the past few years. Um, I remember personally during his first home run, I was watching it live and I was like freaking out because I I just think uh, he's a cool name because he's just been a part of this organization for a while. So like like when we had Patrick Biondi, it's super cool to have someone who has been a part of the organization for a while. By the way, we will be taking calls after – the after the Kyle Dowdy um, interview, so make sure to call into the show, ask some questions, 845-277-9345. That is 845-277-9345. Um, so also, um, we also will be spending some time after the, the Kyle Dowdy interview on um, uh, some very important topics. We have A.J. Pollock, who um, the Mets have shown interest in, but during the press conference for – Jed Lowry's uh, official signing. Um, Brody Van Wagenen said that the outfield is not a priority and that he is going to maybe either try to fix things internally or, you know, he it doesn't seem like he wants he's going to be spending much more money. Um, that's what he said during the press conference. Um, we'll see if that continues to be the case. We know that Brody has gone back on some of the things he has said. Um, in order to uh, upgrade the roster. Yeah, and uh, just just to speak on that a little bit, uh, he he has said a few times that they, they're done spending and they're going to slow down spending. But meanwhile, they uh, it, it seems like to me that that deciphers into more of um more of the idea that we're waiting for there to be a better opportunity rather than with the opportunities we have now, there's not much we would spend. Um, Like for example, before Lowry, it didn't seem like there was much light in us getting a backup infielder. And obviously they went out and got him because the contract was just too good. So, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but I don't know if that exactly means that they're done. I think it means that the options that they have right now are sort of slim due to the inevitable money issues that come with being a Mets executive. Well, um, John Heyman was on um, Joe and Evans uh, 
WFAN show, radio show today, and what he said on their show today was um, he would expect the Mets only to take on A.J. Pollock if he agrees to a short-term deal, something of a one-year contract or a you know, two-year contract, something small. And um, when asked if he would, they would do something like Grandal type of uh, situation with the, the $19 million um, contract for one year, um, John Heyman said that would be very unlikely for the Mets to do. So something of that ilk would be, you know, um, wouldn't be in the Mets' um, uh, best interest, it seems. And, you know, I, that makes sense. I mean, they're not someone that wants to, um, you know, pay $19 million on a guy who is going to be here for one year, and we don't even know if he'd stay healthy or not because that's been a struggle throughout his career. Although he would be an upgrade if he does stay healthy. Um, it just doesn't seem like the Mets would be um, willing to take on that price. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there's been a lot going on uh, with the whole entire Jeff McNeil situation and uh, Brody emphasizing that McNeil will be playing the outfield a lot in spring training to see how that would work out. Um, But either way, let's move on. All right, well, now we will be going to one of the newest Mets, um, Kyle Dowdy. Um, thank you for joining the show, Kyle. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Hey, Kyle. Uh, so this is Jake. I just wanted to say congratulations on being a part of this organization. We welcome you to New York. Uh, so what are you most excited about, um, specifically joining the Mets organization? Um, I, I really appreciate the warm welcome. Um, thanks for having me on guys. Uh, I think most excited about just uh, kind of getting to work and being with the contender. It's it's fun to see a pitching staff and a team like this. We're obviously making a lot of moves right now to, uh, you know, try and win a World Series this year, which is exciting. Um, Kyle, uh, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, my question, you know, obviously the Mets do see you as a um, steal from other organizations. You have a live arm. Um, and I'm sure you've had uh, conversations with Brody uh, about uh, many different things. What have they been like so far, these conversations with Brody Van Wagenen? Um, Really, we're just kind of trying to focus on uh, being ready, showing up for spring training, and what, whatever role the organization sees fit for me, I just want to perform that role to the best of my ability, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a long-inning guy, a late-inning guy, whatever they want me to do. Um, to, to fill that role for him. Yeah, so obviously there, there's a lot of different places that you could fill into, and that that's something the Mets have obviously been investing in this offseason, so guys that could fill many roles. Um, so next year you obviously have a role on the 25-man roster due to the uh, Rule 5 draft rules. Is there anything this year – that you are doing a little bit differently um, in preparation to to make such a big step? Uh, not really. My, my preparation's pretty much been the same all offseason. Um, I had really clear-cut goals I wanted to accomplish this offseason, um, and I think they're all being accomplished currently. Um, I set out a goal that, you know, at the end of last season, I wanted to train my body in a way that I could throw 200 innings next year. Uh, and, you know, if 200 innings happens, if they use me in a starting role for some reason, um, that's awesome. If they want to use me in a bullpen role and I throw 40 innings, that's awesome. However, I could help the ball club is really what I want to do and how I want to contribute. Now, I know that um, the Mets have said that they um, plan to utilize you as a reliever. But, um, you know, you just pointed out how it could be it could come to a point where maybe they could utilize you as a starter if need be um what is the difference in preparation when uh between pre- preparing for a game as a starting pitcher or preparing as a relief pitcher uh it it's kind of crazy you bring this up cuz you know for my entire pro career i've been hey you're going to you're going to start the season in the bullpen and then, you know, a couple of weeks in, all of a sudden I'm in the rotation and sticking the rotation. 
so I've got to experience both, which is awesome. I mean, it gives me a lot of insight kind of into how I want to approach going into a, a relief role. Um, Preparation-wise, I think you taper down your throwing program early in the day to just get loose, make sure your body feels good, and then as, you know, first, second, third innings go on, make sure you get up, moving around, depending on what role you're in. Obviously, you know, a guy like me is going to be in a different role than a guy like Diaz, where Diaz knows he's probably going to be up in the fifth or sixth to get loose for the ninth. Um, but for me, I, I'm really locked in, you know, early in the game in case I need me to come in that situation. Um, but, yeah, just utilizing weighted balls, uh, mobility routines, things like that to keep the body moving. Okay. Yeah, that that, that sounds like a good regimen that obviously will, will help help us win games, so I, I like to hear it. Um, so I, I know from – uh, reading up about you a little bit, that you have four pitches that you throw. Um, I'm just curious, out of your four pitches, your four-pitch selection, wh- which one do you feel like you can ro- uh, rely on the most, and why do you think that is? You know, it's kind of crazy how everything's changed in, like, the last year. Because early on, I would have told you, oh, change up, no doubt. But with the influx of VLO, um, you know, a lot better touch to my slider, cutter, whatever you want to call it. I don't know that there is one standout pitch. Uh, I think to left-hand hitters, if I'm going to use a pitch to get out, it's probably going to be a change-up. If I'm getting out against a righty, I can go a myriad of ways. Um, and it's really one of those that I try not to eliminate any pitch in a circumstance and want to have feel day in, day out to throw any of those pitches in any count. All right. Um, is there a pitch that you have that you – um, might not have had confidence in as much as you do now, like like if you had confidence in it, less confidence in it um, before, now you have more confidence in it. Is there any pitch that you have that um, matches that description? Uh, absolutely. My, my cutter, slider, whatever you want to call it, it went from almost being eliminated from my arsenal altogether um, at the beginning of last season. I uh, just wasn't getting good results on it. I was tinkering because I originally had it as a slider, kind of tinkering, trying to make it a cutter, and it just wasn't very good. And then I got to the Indians, and we made a couple little tweaks to it, grip changes. And then I think the added velo also helped because it, it wound up being a really successful pitch for me. It ranged anywhere from 86 to 92, um, depending on, you know, profile and shape. But I think that was one of those pitches that it went from being a minus pitch to – Average, maybe plus. I mean, that's up to scouts to decide, obviously. Okay. Well, congratulations on on succeeding with that pitch. I'm, I'm happy that uh, you're more confident in it. Um, but let's move on a little bit. Uh, I'm curious, so this year going to the, to the Mets Clubhouse, who are you most excited to meet in this upcoming spring? Is there anyone you've already met um, that you just want to shout out? Uh, it's really ironic. Actually, Drew Smith and I were in the same draft class as the Tigers, so we've played together for a little bit. We're pretty close. Um, I've played against Zamora and Bachelor quite a bit, so that's exciting. Uh, I met them both when we were at the uh, High A All-Star game together. And then, obviously, I just want to pick the minds of, you know, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Wheeler, Matt, all these just absolute studs, you know, Familia Diaz, whoever it may be, just take little things away from each of them. Yeah, that'll, that'll be awesome, honestly. Um, so I want to know, um, what do you like to do in your spare time other than baseball? <laughs> honestly, I'm going to sound like a total nerd, but I love reading research on baseball. Um, other than that, uh, I'm a big dog lover, and my wife is an even bigger dog lover, so we foster animals a lot in the off-season, which is fun. Um, just really anything to uh, keep us moving and keep our minds working. So yeah, uh, and for some reason, I, 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 for some reason, I thought you were going to say reading for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, yeah. I also just want to thank you for fostering animals. Cause I, I have a lot of family members who also foster animals and it's a, it's a rough job. It's something 
that you take a lot of your time out to do. And I, I just appreciate hearing that uh, you take your time you to know, do that. I, I can't take any credit for it. That's definitely my wife's doing. Um, she, she pushed for it and I'm all in on it now, but it's one of those, I could definitely see her um, when we're up in New York doing something with a shelter up there. Cause it's really just where her heart is. That's awesome. Uh, spe- speaking of coming up to New York. So, uh, I also read a l- little bit more about you, and uh, I saw that you were born and grew up on the West Coast. So what, what are you excited about coming to the East Coast and probably living in New York City? I mean, that that must be a, a huge change and something I'm very excited about. Tremendous change, for sure. The big city. Um, the really ironic part is that, like, two weeks before the Rule 5 draft, my wife was like, hey, like, I've been wanting to take a trip to New York. Can we go to New York? So we took a little like three day trip up there and I'd never seen the city and she's been a few times and absolutely loves it. She's like, Oh, can't you just imagine playing in this atmosphere, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, of course she has a cousin who lives up there and he's like, man, it's awesome. Like there's a lot of fan base. Everybody loves baseball up here. And so it was kind of crazy that that all happened really quickly. So I'm excited. I know there's a lot of passion up there in the fan base. I know people are pretty diehard. So it's, it's fun to, to get to that. All right, so I have just a few quick, short questions for you just to end it off uh, the interview. Um, so the first one, um, what, what's your favorite food? Oh, favorite food? Uh, probably Mexican food. All right. Um, what's your favorite movie? Uh, oh, that's tough. Either The Sandlot <laughs> or Bull Durham. Gotcha. Hmm. Um, favorite uh, baseball team growing up? Favorite baseball team growing up, Padres, because it's a hometown team, and they're just, at the time, perennial losers, but that's okay. (laughs) And to top it all off, uh, favorite player growing up? Oh, favorite player growing up. Got to be Nolan Ryan. Just something about his intent, throwing every pitch. That just inspires you as a player. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good pick. Uh, I just wanted to thank you for coming on. You were awesome. Uh, thank you again for fostering animals. Big thing that I think a lot of people um, should be aware of and should should take the time to do. So I, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you giving your time. Uh, and we'll we'll see you after the ad. We'll we'll be talking about um, the moves the Mets have made recently, and we'll be taking some caller questions. Yeah, good luck, Kyle. Thanks. What is up, guys? Eddie Yellen here, featuring my new Mets account, New York Mets 69, featuring team status, team wins, team updates, and team scores overall. We also have live Q&As weekly that feature other teams than the Mets. So far, we've had a Yankees Q&A and a Mets Q&A. Tonight, we're having a Phillies Q&A at 4.40 p.m. Eastern Time. So be sure to follow New York Mets 69. Hello, Diamondbacks fans. My name is Blake. And on Friday at 11 Eastern Time, we ask you to join Chris and I for the third episode of Rattle Up, a podcast dedicated to covering everything going on in the desert, including news, rumors, and more, along with insight from two lifelong fans. This week, we address the current state of the D-backs and where the club should go from here in terms of free agency, trades, or call-ups to fill holes in the roster and the state of the team as a whole. We will also compare the MLB to other leagues such as the NFL and the NBA and discuss how to appeal to the younger audience and make baseball popular among kids. Tune in at 11 Eastern Time this Friday for the third episode of Rattle Up. That is 11 Eastern Time, 9 Mountain Time this Friday. See you there. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Thanks again for... uh joining us tonight um now we're going to be talking about a lot of um the Mets recent moves um how the Mets are gearing up for spring training um all of that and more um Jake what do you think about the Jed Lowry press conference and how that um all went did you watch it did you listen to what um Brody was saying during it what's your take on that all I didn't get to watch it uh, real time, but I did uh, take a peek at a lot of the quotes 
that Brody was talking about, less about what uh, he had to say about Jed, which, of course, he was praising him because, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a good get. I'm excited about having him on the team. But um, paying attention to what he was saying about uh, sort of skipping out on, on signing anyone else, um, I just uh, I just think that, like I was saying at the beginning of this podcast, that that doesn't exactly mean that we're done. It means that the opportunities that they've been searching out so far wouldn't pan out at the moment. I think in the market that we're currently in, in a market that last year ended up uh, feeding into spring training to the point where there was a whole entire um, spring training crew of free agents that wanted to stay warm, and it ended up being 30 or 40 guys all together in one in one area. I think it, as my point being is that the longer these guys stay out, the more likely we will um, take them in and give them shorter-term contracts for lesser amount of money for great talent. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that we're done. I would say that the opportunities that the Mets have explored um, in in recent in, in the recent uh, past uh, ha- will would not pan out um, currently. And now after the press conference, you know, I had a couple of posts on you know my Instagram. Everybody knows I have Mets updates um, and everything. So with those posts, um, a lot of uh, people were talking about the Pollock situation. Are the Mets in on Pollock? Will the um, Pollock market come down to the point where the Mets would be able to get him on a short-term deal? And you know what? A guy like Pollock would make perfect sense for the Mets outfield, in my opinion, if we're able to get him on that short-term type of deal with a lot of incentives attached to it because he is a plus defender in center field, something we currently don't have um, in our starting lineup. I mean, right now it's McNeil and left field, it seems. Center field, it's um, Nimmo. And right field, it's Conforto, something like that. So, you know, I welcome bringing in Pollock on a deal like that because, as I said, plus defender, and he can hit. So he has both things um, that, you know, would be needed because we have two – defensive outfielders on our bench in Broxton and Lagares who aren't um, really consistent hitters, which is the biggest issue with them and the reason why they would be starting. And Pollock really answers all the questions, in my opinion. A lot of people are disagreeing with me on this and want McNeil to play all the time in left field. And I just question that because I love McNeil. I think he would, he's going to get a lot of playing time next year. Um, my only issue with that is that he's not a left fielder per se. He's really been playing a lot of infield. Yes, he's played outfield in the past, but how will that um, how will that transition to the major league roster, major league level? Uh, I mean, I, I think so. Obviously, I'm, I, as as we talked about last week, I'm sort of on the the other side of the spectrum where I, I'm on the McNeil in the outfield crew. Um, I just want to preface that with, I don't think Nemo being in center field is as horrible as everyone is making it out to be. I think actually from the numbers that I'm looking at, I mean, he had a worse defensive year in right field last year than he did in center field. Um, He had a lower fielding percentage. He had less defensive runs saved. Um, But on that, on that, what I would uh, come back with is Nemo consistently had negatives in center field, albeit he didn't spend a lot of time in center field last year, but they were consistent negatives. Were they really bad? No, but they were consistent negatives. So I feel like bringing in a guy like Pollock on that type of short-term deal it wouldn't really be a huge risk um, if it comes down to us being able to get him, he's a he's a much better center fielder, much more polished. That's what I think in terms of um, that. Now, will I come crying every day that Nimmo's in center field? No, because you know they're all good hitters um, out there in the outfield. Conforto, Nimmo, um, 
McNeil. But the problem is you have a lot of defensive questions, especially in center field and left field. Yeah, and I totally understand that. And I think the big question in the air is if Pollock is willing to set down um, his pride. I mean, of course he deserves the contract he's asking for. It's just it, it, it has become sort of the culture right now that um, big money is not going to go out. Uh, it, it just seems like a lot of owners think that they can spend less money with similar production. And, I mean, I, I have to agree. I don't want to give him the, the contract that he's looking for uh, unless he, he is okay with the your idea um, and have the contract be an option contract for a second year incentive-based, a cheaper contract um, guaranteed. Uh, if if it doesn't come down to those three things, that I, I think it's worth sticking internally uh, just because I, I'd rather spend on a, a number four pitcher if it really comes down to it. I'd rather spend on someone in the bullpen if it really comes down to it. Um, now, just to, just to shift the conversation just a little bit, um, McNeil, because I felt like this was one of the most um, um, the biggest issues a lot of fans had with what I was saying about Pollock, bringing Pollock. They had a lot of issues because they want McNeil to get as much playing time as possible and see left field as an avenue for that to be the case. But Brody has said since the beginning of the season McNeil is going to be utilized as a super utility man. He plays a lot of positions. He's very versatile. Um, he's not going to just be at one position. And I welcome that because, you know, when you go into a season, I mean, this is a guy who could play, what, five-plus positions maybe? Not five, um, like three or four, I'm sorry. Um, Something like that. So if somebody gets injured, if somebody, you know, if somebody doesn't perform the way they are expected to, then McNeil is the first guy up off that bench in a position – wherever that may be, just like Marwin Gonzalez, just like Ben Zobrist were utilized. And I had this guy on, um, you know, my Instagram. He was freaking out because um, he thought he was going to get, like, four at-bats a week. Like, bro, you do not sit a guy like McNeil all week. He's going to be playing a lot. He's a hitter. He can play so many positions. He's going to be bouncing around the field, yes, in that in that position. Um Whereas if we sign Pollock, but he's going to get a lot of playing time. A lot of bench players do. Yeah, and I think the biggest concern, obviously, everyone likes McNeil. Everyone wants him to be in the lineup. I think the big concern with a lot of people is the defensive risk. Um, but, I mean, for so you just compared him to a player like Ben Zobris. Ben Zobris when he trans- transferred from just being a, a second a second baseman and shortstop for the Rays and started to play more outfield, I mean, he was not up to par with a lot of defensive outfielders, and that's just how it works. But the way baseball works is with a lot of practice comes production. And I, I think placing him out there is not as irresponsible as a lot of people are looking at it to be because of – won his experience in the past. He it's not like they're it's not like a Jose Reyes ordeal where they're just placing him out there. He he's played this position at least at, at a collegiate level and minorly at a professional level. So I think yeah, maybe the first year might be a little bit of uh, a defensive um a, a lackluster defensive year, but it with time it it'll become something that's way more regular, something that we could rely on um, to happen every year rather than this year where it seems like it's a huge question. All right. So um, next um, we're going to our break, but we'll have Ty Kelly on after the break. Um, So we'll be right back. Hey, guys. This is Benson from Bucko Booth, also producer here on this show. I just want to make sure you tune in to Bucko Booth this Saturday at 6 a.m. I know it's a little bit early, 6 a.m. Eastern, but get up with us. We're going to be talking all about Pirates baseball. 
And if you can't tune in at 6 a.m., we always have it in the archives as well. We're going to be discussing what is in store for Jose Ozuna in 2019. He's been the star of spring training the past two seasons, but really hasn't made a huge impact in the big leagues. We're going to discuss what his future looks like in the black and gold or whether we think he should be shipped away. We're also going to be discussing Mitch Keller as he was recently ranked in the top 10 by MLB Pipeline and when we expect him to make his Major League debut. Remember, 6 a.m. Eastern. I know it's really the early bird special, but you're going to enjoy it. We're going to be talking about all about the Pirates and their upcoming 2019 season. You're not going to want to miss it. 6 a.m. Eastern, Buckley Booth on Saturday. See you there. All right, now I'm glad to have this next guest. Ty Kelly, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thanks for hey, having Ty, me. Thank you so much. Hey, Ty. So, how's it going? Uh, it's Jake here. Hey, so, good. How's... Okay. We're going we're gonna to start off uh, with your first question. So, you played 855 minor league games before your first call-up in 2016. Uh, in the Mets organization, how did it feel to finally get that call up after, after all that work you put in? Uh, I mean, it's everyone. It's your dream your whole life, you know. So I mean, I mean, like everybody goes through it. Tons of guys are in and out of the minors, and um, I think you just have that much more appreciation for it when you've seen, you know, tons of like so many of your teammates getting released and. Um, or or not making it before you, so you finally get a chance. Um, especially like that year, uh, T.J. Rivera still hadn't had his call up, um, and we were both doing really well at the time. So um, you just have a, a bigger you know appreciation for it um, when it's taken so long. And um, yeah, I mean it's it's just like it's what we live for. All right, um, Ty. First off, I wanted to thank you so much for uh, taking this uh, time to allow us to interview you on our podcast. Um, so for our, my question, uh, most fans do not get the opportunity to hear about the free, agent, free agency process for a player um, from, you know, the actual player. So what has that process been like for you thus far? Yeah, so I'm going through the free agent process right now, and I'm sitting on my couch, and that's pretty much it. Um, I, uh, you just kind of wait, um, you you know, your agent's doing all the work. He, he's calling the teams or teams are calling him. Um, and pretty much you just wait and, and see who has the best offer. I mean, you obviously just keep hoping for, um, offers and, um, yeah, so it's just a lot of sitting and waiting. I, I imagine that it's different for a lot of different players, but for the most part, you know, the average player is just kind of um, hanging out and and trying to, you know, figure it out. As soon as the big free agents get signed and all that, then the dominoes start falling, and then you can kind of uh, get a feel of what's going to happen for you. Okay. Uh, so for Mesmerize, you wrote a, a set of very in-depth articles about uh, several uh, highlights and pieces of your career, um, including the moment you found out that you were drafted. Is there, is there any way you could sort of explain to the listeners what that experience was like for you? Sure. Yeah, it was uh, – yeah, everything that I wrote um, in the article was true. <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't have to embellish, really. Um, yeah, I was – you know, I went to uh, UC Davis, so we were on the quarter system, which meant that our uh, in the school year didn't end until the like first or second week of Jan- of uh, June. So the draft was happening while we were taking finals. So I had to um, set up in one of my finals, which was African Americans in Television, um, which was a very important class uh, <laughs> for my education. Um, so I had to talk to the professor beforehand and let her know that I was going to have to be like fielding calls basically. Um, so the only part that I didn't mention is that she let me take it in a separate room so that I wouldn't be disturbing everyone else. But literally I was just in some room with like a couple other professors and, um, I got, you know, a few calls during my final, um, and basically just teams checking in to see if I would sign in certain rounds and things like that. So, yeah, it was mid-final 
when I got drafted and I didn't know like when I got drafted, uh, what round it was or anything like that. So it was a, a pretty interesting and very, I don't know, humbling, I guess, process to not have the huge like celebration or anything or really even know what was going on. I, I tried to follow the draft tracker for like the first, I don't know, five or six rounds. And then when, when I wasn't drafted, I had to, you know, I had to get on my bike and get to class. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Um, here with Ty Kelly, uh, you also wrote about um, struggles as a major leaguer who is in limbo between the MLB and the minor leagues. Um, how do you try to overcome the frustrations that come along with a uh, minor league demotion or a demotion in general? I mean, I think the the best way to handle it is, you know, just trying to work on the things that you need to get better at. Um, and it's just uh, kind of like I, what I wrote about is just, it can be really hard sometimes. I mean, you want to, you want to keep working on things, but at the same time, you're not, you're most likely not a, you know, young, like 23 year old anymore or something like that, where they just want you to work on things. And then you, you know, you presumably get better and they call you back up and you never know if it's going to be your last time getting called up um, or what's going to happen. So it can be, it can be very tough. Um, and I think, I mean, like I said, you just have to, to try to control the things that you can control. I mean, you've heard that a million times, especially in baseball, um, just try to control the things that are within your, you know, within your powers to have any say over and um, just get better and, and, you know, hope that another opportunity arises, but it definitely is easier said than done. Yeah. That's, a, that's an awesome mindset to keep. And I, ho- I hope it continues to be, I, I hope that mindset uh, helps, helps you. Um, so you played for team Israel uh, in 2017 uh, during the World Baseball Classic, uh, a team that came into the tournament with very low expectations. It was ranked actually 41st in the world. But Team Israel was able to beat the odds and make it very far into the tournament. What was it like to play for Team Israel, and, and what do you attribute to Team Israel's success? It was amazing. Uh, it was so much fun to play in. The atmosphere in Korea and Japan was just, it was, you know, once in a lifetime um, to be able to play, you know, not just in those stadiums with those crowds, but to be playing for a country and playing against their country. Um, you know, we had the opening game against Korea uh, the, of the whole tournament. We were the first game. So we played South Korea and, um, you know, we, we ended up winning, but it was just, it was crazy to just kind of be thrust into this whole situation uh, right away, and we had a, a lot of young guys on the team, some older, you know, veteran guys. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think that we had a lot of success because, I mean, we we had a we had good players on our team, and um, and I think that I don't know why people thought that we didn't have good players. I guess, but um, you know, we had we had a lot of guys that are playing baseball for a living, and. Um, and we all kind of had something to prove, I think, which is, you know, which always makes a difference, you know, no matter what level you're at or what sport it is. If you, if you have that edge and you, you have something to prove still, um, guys fighting for jobs or guys fighting for, you know, relevancy in the, the big leagues or just, you know, just in baseball in general, that's kind of a perfect storm for, for um, exceeding expectations, I think. So, you know, we had, a, we had a lot of good things come together and good players on the team and, and some – for the, the, the amount of young guys in the Myers we had, we had guys like Sam Fold and Ike Davis, veterans, and um, Ryan LaBarnway, Jason Marquis, who's like 40 years old. So we had a, a good mix of guys um, also. By the way, I, I for some reason, I really love that team as real team. The, the team is real team, and I, I was I just remember that year just looking at the scores and um, keeping note of Team Israel and everything like that. And I love the mention on the bench and all that stuff. It was really it was really a fun team to watch. Getting out in front of all the teams early in the game, I just really loved it, and I kept tabs on it. Now my next question: We're here with Ty Kelly. Um, you hit your first home run against Jameson Tyon in the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, how did you feel after you hit that home run? I felt uh, 
awesome. I mean, uh, we had also just traded for Kelly Johnson, who hadn't gotten there yet. So it was kind of a um, – it was a big moment for me in more than one way, you know. I mean, I, I feel like it kind of it, – it kind of, like, set a tone for me that I could play in the big leagues, you know. Um, so there's always, like, that moment at every level, I feel, where you, you kind of have this um, – I don't know. You you have this like epiphany, I guess, that you can that you can really play at this level and and you know at, at a lot of levels. Hopefully, you're you're feeling like you can dominate that um, against those guys. So, I think for me, it, w- it was just a big moment, just because it kind of you know allowed me to to breathe a little bit and and um, you know not play like a rookie anymore, but but sort of just have some confidence going forward. Um, and then I think I got sent down from there, but then when I got called back up later, I, I had success. So I sort of, you know, I, you try to parlay a little bit of success into more success and then see what happens. Yeah. I, I remember. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. I remember um, watching that uh, home run with my dad actually. Uh, and, and we were both very, very excited for you. Um, That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you, you were a new name to us, but you, you sort of won our hearts because uh, of that home run. Um, let's move on to the next question. So you're a very versatile fielder, uh, and you play a lot of different positions. What position do you enjoy playing most? I like playing third the most. Um, it's just the quickest and I've played the most of it of anywhere. So I think that third base just has the most unique plays of any position, um, just because every ball is crushed at you or there's like tons of top spin on it, or you've got to just make a decision right away. Um, either be moving in or back or to the side, like you've got to move right away or else you're, the ball is going to eat you up. So I really enjoy playing third. Um, I feel like I have success there because, like I said, I've played a ton of it, and it's just fun to to get to make those decisions like that, Um, where some of the other positions it's not quite so quick reacting. Um, Like at second, you've got forever, and short pretty much all your plays are, are really deep, but third is just like quick right away. And then once you make your decision, you've got to trust it, basically. So I really enjoy that. With Ty Kelly here, um, you, you still currently you're, you are still currently a free agent. Um, what are your plans for the 2019 season? And are you open to another reunion with the Mets organization? I'm open to anyone that <laughs> would like to sign me. Um, I uh, yeah, I mean I've I've had great experiences playing with the Mets. Um, they obviously they called me up for the first time in, in 2016. I made the team in 17, and then unfortunately they had to make some roster moves um, because it was the first 10 days of the season. Um, so, and then uh, last year I got called up again. So I've had great experiences with the Mets, and I love New York. Um, and yeah, I mean I w- I would be open to playing anywhere, but yeah, right now I'm just kind of waiting. Um, to hear, you know, from different teams. But I, I feel, like I said earlier, I feel like once the the bigger free agents start to sign, then it just kind of there's a domino effect, and um, it'll eventually work its way down to me, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, it must be so tough because these the last couple off seasons have been moving so slow, uh, specifically for the players. So it must be like paint drying for you guys. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just getting to be less and less incentive for uh, for teams to want to pay players long term. Um, just, I mean, the more they they look at stats and how long term deals work out for guys, I mean, they can keep pointing to that. And there's only so much um, agents and the players union can do to combat that. So um, I, I feel like it's just kind of the wave that's happening right now, and we'll see if anything changes in the future. Yeah, and I think there's probably going to be some rule changes around that. But that that's a whole entire other story from for a whole entire other time. Uh, just, let's just mm-hmm. <laughs> end off with a nice, nice little question. Um, even in this slow, slow off season, how do you stay in shape and and prepare for uh, the MLB off season? 
Well, I've been doing it for, uh, it seems like forever now. Um, so, I mean, I once you've had, this is like my, I don't know, 10th off season or whatever, you kind of have an idea of what it takes to get your body in shape, um, how much throwing you need to do, hitting and all that. I've, I've been hitting over at UCLA um, with some other pro guys. And, you know, the baseball off season is a lot of guys getting together and um, just kind of helping each other out, you know, talking, hitting with guys and um, trying to find ground balls when you can and finding guys that can throw BP and stuff like that. So it's, um, I mean, you, you just kind of get used to it. This has been my life for, you know, for as long as I can remember basically. So um, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've stayed pretty busy and I feel like I'm in good shape and, be ready to go. Um, I feel like the longer you play, the less you need to do in the off season. So you kind of just, and I've been getting to spring training like a week or so uh, before they start typically. So you get tons of work in once you get there and um, just, you know, get ready to go as quick as possible. All right. Thank you, Ty, for joining us. I'm really glad to have you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. Uh, thanks you guys for having me. Thanks again, Anytime. Pat. Um, and now that was Ty Kelly. I'm glad he was able to join the show. Um, we'll be right back with some of your questions about the Mets, and we will be answering. This is Max from over at the Ivy, and we hope that you'll tune in at 9 Eastern time on Sunday night. We'll talk about the Ricketts family and why they won't be holding a question and answer session uh, at the Cubs convention this weekend. Another player was reclaimed by the Cubs, as he has been many times this offseason. The slow market and why that is, including when we think Manny Machado was signed, Bryce Harper, Dallas Keuchel, A.J. Pollock, along with other top free agents, and our top prospects in the Cubs system currently, including Miguel Amaya, Edward Elzulia, and when we think they'll be in the majors and how they did last season. We hope you'll tune in on Sunday night at 9 Eastern Time. Thanks, guys. All right, and we're back. Um, thankful for Kyle Dowdy and Ty Kelly for coming on the show tonight. Both very, very good interviews. Um, now we're going to be going on to a segment. We did this in the first um, week, I believe, our first episode. We take questions, and we answer as to where will players land and um, or – what will the Mets do with this or that? And our producer, Benson, will be uh, helping us out with this segment. Yes, yeah, so first question from the mailbag. Where does T.J. Rivera stand on the Mets roster? All right, you want to take this first, Jake? Yeah, um, I'm actually a really big T.J. Rivera fan. He's a New York City native. Um, I think this year... There's obviously a lot of um, moving parts with this year, a lot of infielders, specifically second baseman, which is uh, Rivera's primary position. But uh, I think uh, once Mickey Calloway gets a sniff of that bat, um, as long as he's as good as he was uh, when he debuted, uh, I think it'll be another Jeff McNeil situation where they just sort of have to find a way to get his bat back in there. I don't know exactly what they're planning to do. Uh, I, I, to my knowledge, I'm pretty sure he's all good for spring training. So um, let's let's see w- what that does for him. Well, T.J. T. Rivera, to me, he reminds me of a – he's comparable to Wilmer Flores, but he's more versatile in the positions he can play. And he's um, he's got the same type of defensive capabilities no matter where. And um, he's got a very, very good bat. He hits for average. Um, and his power is not as grand as Wilmer's, but he is able to um, hit line drives into the gap and stuff. Listen, if you hit, you're going to, you're going to get playing time. Um, it, it all depends on if he's healthy, and it all depends on the situation with the Mets MLB roster. Um, next question, Benson. Do you see the Mets signing A.J. Pollock? Um, I'll take this first. Uh, it, I do. 
I don't I don't know. I really don't know because I don't think that the Mets I think there are going to be other teams that are willing to match a, a higher price than the Mets on him. And although I would love for the Mets to sign him, I'm a big A.J. Pollock fan, I don't see it happening. Uh, I think maybe we'll sign another bench outfielder or something like that, maybe an Adam Jones. But I, I don't see us getting an, a starting center fielder through free agency because there's not many other options. Yeah, and I think I, I have to agree. I don't see us getting him unless under the stipulations that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast um, where uh, it's a one- to two-year deal with an option, there's incentives involved, and it's a little bit cheaper than what he's looking for for a year. So w- without any of those stipulations, I don't think we, we really go for Pollock. All right, next question, Benson. Will the Mets make any more big moves? And if so, what will they be? Uh, Yeah, I don't think there's going to be any more, per se, big moves. I think the only chance of us making another big move is if it involves a trade. But I think think Brody's very excited about the roster that he has right now. Uh, So I, I don't see him... Uh, trading unless it's sort of a deal he, he can't refuse. So uh, I don't think trading Darno is out of the question. I don't think um, signing another maybe mid, uh, mid-reliever, mid-starting rotation guy is out of the question, but I don't think any crazy big moves are going to happen. I think that we're going to have one more setup man join this team. You know how this market has been. We've been able to last year, even last year, we've been able to get some guys on lower deals than expected, um, especially at the end of the off season. Two guys I think that we should keep our eyes on are uh, Greg Holland, Cody Allen. I feel like Cody Allen's a better fit, but I feel like either of those two guys could ink a deal with the Mets. Um, and we'll see when, but we can definitely use that seventh inning man. Um, also, I do think that Travis Darnold will be traded. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It's, All it's, right. It's, um, yeah, oh, go, wait, go what were you saying, Jacob? Sorry. No, I, you don't I, know I, about. Okay, um, next question, Benson. Yeah, let's go for it. Do you think the Mets should sign either Devin Mesoraco or Martin Maldonado and trade Travis Darnell? And that's um, kind of what we were alluding to before. I think that's going to be the case. They, they've been talking about that. The way I've heard these um, rumors, it just sounds like this might be the case. I mean, we could trade Travis. Who knows what we'll get for Travis in return? Um, maybe a reliever, maybe something like that. But um, I think it would be smarter, ideal to trade Travis and get a guy like Martin, who's very good defensively. And um, I'd be more uh, comfortable with uh, – um, taking some time off from Wilson, Ramos, or even Devin Mesoraco, who was a very good clutch bat last year. Um, very uh, good working with the pitchers as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I was all about Martin Maldonado originally before we even signed Ramos. So uh, I think, that, I mean, that would be a deal that, or at least a set of transactions that I would be really excited about. But um, I don't know. It, it depends on how long... Maldonado sits out there because I think there's a few other contenders who are still looking for catchers um, that maybe they'll be talking to him and trying to get him the money he wants. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Next question, Benson. Do you think the Mets have had a better off season than the Washington Nationals? Uh, I'll take this one first. I think by far. I mean, I think, again, I'm not a big fan of long-term contracts. Anything over four or five years to me is a little bit too much, especially when it gets into the $100 million range. And I think, I mean, Corbin, uh, he's a good pitcher. Uh, He's a very, very good pitcher. But I I do not think spending that much money on him was really worth it. uh, and that's sort of the only move they've really made that was significant. Um, 
Mm. So, I, I kind of disagree. I, I really do disagree. I feel like both teams have made a lot of uh, headway this offseason, but the Nationals did come through the offseason in a better position, much better position than the Mets. And they've made almost as many moves as the Mets. And I'll, I'll outline it here. Um, they did sign Patrick Corbin, albeit to a uh, pretty lucrative deal. I mean, not something you see anymore um, when it comes to starting pitchers. But he'll be a thorn in our side, I think. You've got Brian Dozier. You've got Jan Gomes. You've got Kyle Bauerclaw. Um, there were there was also a couple more additions. Um, shoot, uh, I'm trying to get it up here, but they they made a lot of uh, other moves as well. Um, they've kind of, you know, if we make a move, they they would answer back. You know, they've made a a bunch of deals that I uh, I really think make them better, and it's uh, worrisome. Now, do I think they have had a better off season than the Mets? I can't say that for sure, but I do think that they've done enough to definitely keep in contention next year, especially with Rendon on the roster and yeah. um, and Juan Soto, who's going to be a stud, and Strasburg and Scherzer. And, um, you know, they've even made additions to the bullpen that um, look pretty good. They got Doolittle in the back of there. You know, it's a team that we're going to be – back and forth with all season, hopefully. Yeah, and just quickly, I didn't mean to demean any of those transactions. What I meant is that the only significant deal that they have over us that wasn't really answered was the Corbin trade. I think everything else was either matched or we did a little bit better. In. Um, and I do think Corbin was a little bit of a crazy deal. So just to that sense, and money-wise and and – what we got back, uh, I think we sort of won. Um, so, yeah, Benson, let's go for the, the, another question. Should the Mets sign Bartolo Colon? Uh, this is fun. <laughs> uh, listen, starting pitching depth, depth is starting pitching depth. And um, Bartolo would add to that. Um, bring him in on a minor league deal, see if he makes it out of uh, – for spring training, out of spring training, who, who cares? I mean, um, well, we'll see what happens, but I, I wouldn't be against it. Yeah, I mean, I think we do need a better pitcher than DeGrom, and I think Cologne is really where it's at. So I think that we could definitely invest a little bit into Cologne and sort of have uh, the GOAT himself on our, on our team again. By the way, just wanted to really point out quickly, I finally got the transactions up. They also signed Anibal Sanchez, the, the, the Nationals. Anibal Sanchez, uh, Matt Adams, uh, Kurt Suzuki, I just uh, – and, oh, Trevor Rosadol, who might be a uh, – who knows if he could come back into form. That would be great for them. Just wanted to point those out real quick. Um, next question, uh, Benson. Do you think it would be a good idea to sign Nick Marcakis? All right, you got this first, Jake. Yeah, I mean, for the past two weeks and and, and this week, including after this question, we, we've both been two really big advocates for uh, Nick Marquez coming to the team. I think there, there's nothing you lose. I don't think he's signing a contract more than two or three years, three years max uh, with any team. Yeah. And, and like I think the money's going to be Yeah, I oh, think I the money's going to be right. And uh, what, what do you think about it, John? Well, sorry to, that I cut you off before. I just wanted to agree with you that two-year contract with a club option or a one-year contract with club option, something like that. This guy can rake. This guy can throw. This guy can play the outfield. Um, he would be a great compliment. And I would be much more comfortable having him in left field on a regular basis or even one of the other corner outfield spots, right field, um, than – McNeil because we he's a veteran we know what he is and um, you know he he plays all the time he's kind of like he's kind of like um, a Robbie Cano type of uh, veteran a guy who always plays which is great to have on a team um, all right next question Benson all right this will be our last question how many wins okay. do you predict the Mets will have with their current roster it's tough to say for me. Um, I've said throughout the off season, I'm comfortable around 85. 
I think with the Lowry move and a couple other moves they've made, and if they made one more or two more moves, you know, I feel like late 80s, early 90s is where I'm comfortable with them. I don't want to jinx anything, but that's what I see. Yeah, I'm I'm comfortable with about 90, 91 wins. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us this week. Um, that'll wrap it up for our podcast. Great to have you all. We will see you next week. Thank you to Ty, and thank you for Kyle for coming on. We'll see you. Amazing Mets is produced by Benson Fester. Amazing Mets is a baseball podcast network production. Be sure to give our host a follow on Instagram, John at Mets Updates, and Jake at the first 162. For more Amazing Mets coverage, be sure to visit our website at www.baseballpodcastnet.com. And be sure to give the Baseball Podcast Network a follow on all their social media platforms. Instagram at Baseball Podcast Net. Twitter at Baseball Podcast One. That's P O D C A S One. YouTube at Baseball Podcast Network. And SoundCloud at Baseball Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in to Amazing Mets. We'll see you next time.